You're listening to Straight Shooters, a straightforward golf podcast that'll straighten out your game. And here are your hosts, Keith Bennett and Henry Statina. This is the Straight Shooters Golf Podcast, and I am your host, Henry Statina, alongside Keith Bennett. Keith, how are you doing today? Doing good, Henry. Doing real good. Just uh, looking forward to another conversation about golf and uh, helping the listeners play a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Keith, we have a, a great guest today, somebody I'm really excited to talk to um, in Aaron Bergman. Aaron is uh, actually the individual who invited me to my very first golf instruction seminar, and we've remained friends ever since. Uh, he's somebody who I looked up to as a golf instructor, as a person, and as a father, and uh, has toured the world teaching golf. Um, he's built businesses from golf in schools programs to a newly uh, soon to be opened indoor golf facility in Austin that I'm sure he'll be excited to talk about. Um, but I think today's conversation is going to shed a little light on to uh, the world of golf and coaching, um, getting both young players and adults into the game. So, um, Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Henry Keith, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Aaron, it's great to have you. Uh, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. So, thanks for joining us. And, uh, what if we started off with you telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into coaching and uh, a little bit as to how you got to where you are and some of the exciting things that are going on in your life? Sure. So I started playing golf when I was about 10 years old. You know, my parents weren't golfers, but I lived just a few miles from a public golf course that had uh, some great junior programs and a very large practice facility. And so I just started doing it very casually and fell in love with the game. And probably in high school, um, I identified my career path as wanting to go down and, and be a coach. So I heard about the PGM program at New Mexico State. Henry, obviously, that's where you and I met and Keith, all of our alma mater. Um, so I went down to New Mexico State and, and wanted to be a golf instructor. So 2005, I graduated and really in an attempt to push back on starting a, a normal job at a golf course, I'd never really traveled the world. And so I wanted to try something different. And I found a, a job teaching golf to kids in the country of Bhutan. Now, I had never heard of Bhutan. I had to look it up on a map. And it's a small kingdom just below Tibet, China, near Nepal and India in the Himalayas. And so that's really where my journey began. I went there in 2005, what was supposed to be five months, um, and then come back to the States and, and start a normal job at a golf course. And then just started meeting other people and, and other opportunities came about. I was invited to go to Nepal and help start youth programs in Kathmandu. And so I just started rolling with the punches after um, doing that. Uh, I ended up taking a job in Thailand a few hours south of Bangkok, working at a Nicholas course called Springfield. And you know, I was very young. I didn't know much about teaching, but I was like a lot of young instructors, very enthusiastic, wanted to soak in as much as I could and got a lot of incredible experience. I mean, one, one thing that benefited me being across the pond is that I got to probably teach more than most people uh, that were my age at that time, just being over in the east and we would do vacation golf schools and and i would get to meet students from all over the world japan germany um sweden france and just opened up my eyes to to golf and and players from all different abilities around the world so that was really great and um my life really changed in 2007 so i was teaching at a golf school called heartland this is in in Bangkok. And it was a, a franchise of a school that was in St. Louis, Missouri, founded by a gentleman named Ed LeBeau, who I know both of you know. So Ed came over and was training the instructors. And Ed was a disciple of a gentleman named Manuel De La Torre. And Manuel, uh, for the listeners, was the first ever PGA instructor of the year which was in 1986, and is a member of the World Golf Teachers Hall of Fame and the PJ Hall of Fame. 
And so Ed was a disciple of Manuel. He came over to Thailand and, and really introduced me to the teachings of Manuel and arranged for me to come over to the States and meet and meet Manuel. So in 2007, I attended a workshop by Manuel, which really set my life on a completely different course and, and really changed the trajectory of my teaching career. And, um, you know, and since then I've, I've just fallen in love with being able to share the game and, and help people play better golf. And that's incredible. I actually, I mean, I've talked to you before, but I didn't realize that you had done all of that prior to coming back to the States um, and, you know, working across, you know, overseas and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, kind of what, when you met, I know, you know, Manuel has had such a big influence on your life and, and we've talked about him before at length with Ed in previous pod, in a previous podcast, but can you kind of like recall back to, um, you know, the style of teaching that you were doing prior to, prior to meeting Manuel and, and what was such the stark contrast to what he was preaching uh, that just like kind of, you know, changed, changed your, your teaching trajectory and philosophies? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, prior to meeting Manuel, I was basically grabbing bits and pieces from anything that I could, whether it was reading books, attending seminars. And so I had all these very anecdotal things that were living inside of my head and I'm trying to communicate to students, make them play better, but there was really no foundation. And when I met Manuel, and by the way, it was also very complicated. So mm -hmm. For my own game, I'm trying to piece together all these little things, uh, mostly surrounded um, or involved around positions and certain body movements. And if, in fact, what's funny is a week before I met Manuel, I was doing a three-day golf school in Thailand, and I was explaining, I had this presentation, and I was explaining to the students that the golf swing is very difficult, and it's very complicated, and you know, you've got to really understand all these different moving parts. And the reality is, is I didn't even really understand all of the moving parts or really what I should be trying to do. So then you go a week later, I'm sitting in a room with Manuel. And the very first thing he says, and this is what changed my life, is he said, the golf swing is a very simple task to complete. And if your time with me, that's the only thing that you remember then your time with me will be well spent. And he said it was such conviction. It just, my eyes went boom. Okay, I'm all ears. Because I think deep down, Keith, what I was really looking for is I was looking for some type of concept, some foundation that I could base what I'm communicating to students, that I'm not just going down these rabbit holes with each person. And so from that moment on, um, you know, it really, it really changed the way that I viewed teaching. Cause it's really such a, a more streamlined way of thinking about it. Everything, every dot connects to the next dot. Every thing builds on the next concept. And like you said, and I, you know, I can attest to this and, and, you know, just kind of in instruction in general, like you said, it's just kind of this, this piecemeal of like, okay, work on that arm movement. Okay. But, but what is that? even connect to oh I, I don't know but you should just work on that arm move. and then you know when you get that you should work on that okay and then how does that even all connect to helping me hit the ball straighter or hit the center of the face more or you know do any of these things and then when you hear Manuel speak about these concepts it's like oh yeah each layer stacks on the next and I can see how that makes more sense to this and I can see how it all just fits so nicely it's so easy to comprehend and I think what I've been realizing lately and, and you can speak on this too is like what the thinker thinks the prover proves you know if you think that the golf swing is this complicated mess of different moving things you're going to find ways to prove that to yourself and prove it to your students whereas you know when Manuel is just like you know this is a simple task you're like oh yeah let's figure out how we can make this more simple to communicate yeah, that's exactly right. So a couple things. Um, let me just speak to kind of what was different about Manuel. And then I have a couple of thoughts on what you just said. First off, Manuel, everything that he said had a reason. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I, I mentioned he would speak with such conviction. And I believe that he could do that because he was speaking about things that were truthful, like principles that this is how it is. It's not subjective. It's not, this is my opinion. And, and the other thing is, is Manuel used words that he chose his words very carefully. And so when he said something, that's what he meant. It wasn't like, hey, uh, you know, feel like you're getting firm on your left side. Well, what does right. that even mean, right? I mean, that's, that leaves a lot to interpretation. And really the primary difference between uh, the teaching that Manuel introduced me to and, and how I thought about instruction before was that Manuel put all of his emphasis on the movement of the club as opposed to how the body is moving and what we would say is in a response to the movement that you give the club, right? So let's break that down a little bit. The, the ball is only responding to how the club moves, right? So what we can say is a certain movement of the club produces a certain flight of the ball. Now, the best part about that is, is that applies to anyone's club, not someone with a certain body type or certain level of abilities. This movement with this club will make this ball do this regardless of who's holding it. Whereas if you say to someone's body movement, you can't assign a movement of the body to the flight of the ball. So I can't say, if I move my shoulder this way, then the ball will fly a certain way. And here's where it gets difficult for students is someone might say, an instructor might say, you know, you're, you're coming over the top because you're not turning enough in the backswing. You need to turn more. And then they turn more. And then sure enough, they are straightening out their ball flight. Well, underneath that is a, is a hidden problem, which is I've now assigned this shoulder movement to that ball flight. In reality is I can make a perfect shoulder turn and still hit the ball very crooked. So then they're making this perfect shoulder turn. They're putting all their emphasis on the shoulder turn. And then the ball starts going crooked. Well, wait mm. a second. When I thought about my shoulder turn, the ball is supposed to go straight and now it's not. And now where do I go? I'm back to ground zero. I've just created another problem and I don't even know where to start. Well, then you think also that all that work you were doing, what was it for? That's you know. exactly right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, people come into the school, you know, people who have been playing for 30 years and probably just like you guys do, I say, well, tell me a little bit about some of your problems, some of your issues. And most golfers can speak on it for 10 straight minutes. I do this wrong. I do that wrong. In fact, they've already come to my session with a whole slew of things that they want to tell me that they do wrong. They say, okay, sounds like you spent a lot of time thinking about what you do wrong. Tell me what you're trying to do correct. And every time zip, they have nothing to say. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you is that people are spending all this time thinking about all the things that they do wrong and they're never establishing what it is they're supposed to do and they never establish what it is they're supposed to do so then they have no ability to determine after a swing or a shot did i do the thing that i wanted or did i not so then what will they never gain awareness yeah so when you're working with someone i've you know and i've been curious about this recently too um are you spending much time kind of going over what that person is doing wrong and then kind of explaining what needs to be done? Or is that in your mind sort of like, we don't need to spend much time on what's going wrong. Let's get more in depth on what do we need to do right so you can start thinking about that more. There's no doubt. I mean, it diff it's different for every student, but there's no doubt. I need that student to leave that lesson tee with a clear sense of this is what I need to do. Right. I mean, and your concept should be should be foolproof. It should be so sound that in your concept, you never hit a bad shot. So I have to get a student on that path. But mm -hmm. I also want them to be able to have some awareness of what they're doing. So I may speak to, hey, this is what your club is doing that's creating this issue. But more importantly, this is what we want it to do. 
And then I want to lead them towards, even if they do it wrong, they go, oh, I could tell that, you know, I didn't do what I was supposed to do there. Boom. Now they've established some difference between what they should be doing and what they are doing. Yeah. Cause that, I feel like in most lessons, people look back at you after one bad shot and they go, you know, what happened there? And, it, and again, they're still looking for you as the coach to give them what went wrong. They're, they're just so, they're just not even at all mentally trained to think about what needs to happen. And I think that's like one of the biggest things that, that, uh, you know, less experienced or poorly coached golfers get into is that like, again, the thinker think what, you know, the prover will prove if you're always thinking about what's going wrong, you're probably just going to keep giving, you know, you're probably just going to keep producing that wrong movement. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. Look, students, they've got to, they've got to establish, Hey, this is what I want to do with my swing. And you have right. to realize as teachers that they're not, they're not professional learners. Right. And so, and your students are coming to your tea with your lesson tea with all this baggage and all these ideas. And so you've just not only got to give them sound information, but you've got to help put their mind in a place where they can receive. Because as an instructor, I may have, I may have all the goods. I may be able to tell you exactly what you need to do in order to improve your ball flight. But if that doesn't mean that there's going to be learning taking place, you've got to be in a position to receive that to where you can mm -hmm. understand it and then apply it. That's a hard one too, because you don't always know where the student's mind's at during a lesson. No, absolutely not. And really a, a golf lesson is to me much more a mental exercise than it is a physical one. Yeah, totally. I mean, most of my positive swing improvements happen when I'm not even hitting a shot. I'm not even in a, in a, in a range type environment. It's usually I'm in my backyard, yeah. you know, just me and the club moving. Just thinking about it, visualizing it. Aaron, you mentioned that you had a revelation personally when Manuel described the swing as simple versus difficult. And now you're describing that a golfer should have his or her attention on the movement of the club versus that of the body. And mm -hmm. for many, that's a very different concept. And was there a moment in your learning that allowed for a revelation of that nature where you realize that, hey, that is the way we perform tasks. That is the way we learn to use tools. That is a better way of using a golf club. Absolutely. I mean... Manual would give examples of, you know, give me something else that you do in your life where you're managing how you're moving while you're doing it. And I can't think of one. So everything we do in our life, we, the, our brain manages the movement of our, of our body unconsciously. And yet when you get to golf, we say, okay, now think about all the different movements that are happening. And the way, the, the thing that really, I continue to, to base everything around is I say, okay, what really has to happen? I want this ball to go to the target. What really has to happen? Let's break it down to its essence. And for me, it's two things. I have to swing the club from my back shoulder. I have to swing it uninterrupted to the other side. That's the swing. Well, why do we say you have to swing it? We say you have to swing it because that's the most energy efficient movement that you can produce. And a swing is also the most consistent movement you can produce because when you swing something, it, a swing has a center, as long as it maintains its center and upholds its velocity, it will always retain its path. And golf is this game where it's not, Hey, let's go out today and, and hit one perfect shot. I need all of my shots to be reasonably. Okay. If I do that, I can play very well. Well, what is the best movement I can produce to do that? A swing. Okay, well, what's the second thing you have to do? Well, that swing, because the game is a target-oriented game. It's not like baseball, 
where your fairway is very, very wide. And oh, by the way, if you miss the fairway, you get another chance. So in golf, I have to send the ball in the direction of the target. So in, when I make that swinging motion, which gives me the distance of the shot and the height of the shot, I also have to direct that swing towards the target. If I do those two things, what will happen? The ball will go to the target. And so when it was presented to me in that way, and then I started moving the club and starting, you know, I've never even thought about swinging my club to the target. Well, if I never swing, if I never think about making my club go to the target, how on earth am I going to do it consistently? It was almost, I had this light go off, Henry. It's almost like I've been making the ball go to the target on some days and it's just been sheer luck. So then I put my attention on, okay, this ball responds to the club, the club's movement. If I move the club in the direction of the target, the ball's going to go there. Well, let me just put my attention on that. And voila, mm. I start thinking about making the club swing in the direction of the target. And then all of a sudden it starts to do that. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. How did I move in order to do that? And I realized it doesn't really matter. And I'll never forget the first time I met Emmanuel. Another thing he said to me, which was, and by the way, Manuel, you know, he lost in a playoff in the NCAA championships and lost in a playoff in the senior PGA and won the Wisconsin PGA championship five times. So it wasn't like he was this, hey, this player, this, this teacher had all these theories in his mind and, oh, it's so simple. And I mean, he could put his money where his mouth was. Uh, and he said to me, I have no idea how my body moves when I swing my golf club and I don't care. And, you know, for somebody who's literally thinking about their left arm and getting their, their shoulder under their chin. And in those days, which is terrible, it was keep your back knee flexed. I mean, I, the things I thought about in the span of two seconds when I'm hitting a ball, it was just, it's funny. I even have journals of what I used to, you know, I would have a practice session. I would write down the things that I was thinking about. It's like, I don't even know how someone could pull the club back. And so to hear Manuel, this very accomplished teacher and also very accomplished player telling me he doesn't even know how his body moves. It was just like, okay, we've got to rethink this. You know, Keith and I talk about that quite a bit. We hear tour players, um, you know, trying to make sense of what they do. And I think we've all been there where when we've played our best golf, it was almost as if we weren't thinking, you know, we were highly involved in, in maybe the motion and the target um, and intention of what we wanted to do with the club and the ball. And then when asked what we were doing or what we were thinking, it's almost as though we have to resort to some kind of a physical body-like movement that we can identify with to make sense of it all in an attempt to try to recreate it. And that's probably the furthest from the truth. You mentioned something that I thought was very similar to the way that I kind of discovered some of this information. You know, the light bulb went off for me when taking a lesson from Manuel because it was so different and it was so simple and it was so pure. And it seemed like the first step was to have the attention on the club versus that of the body to, for the first time, maybe in my life to be truly oblivious to the body motion. And then recognizing um, that if our attention was on the club, I needed to know what the club was to be done with. Now you mentioned an uninterrupted motion, which is quite different from the normal positions instruction that we often hear about. Well, the golf, the golf swing is performed as a motion. So you should think about it, you should study it, and you should practice it as, as it's going to be performed. Because at the end of the day, how well you swing it is going to determine how well your ball flies. And no one can say otherwise. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I remember back in the day I had somebody, you know, kind of going back to your body positions thing. I remember somebody told me that I respected that, you know, I needed to keep my, my, my right knee flexed more in the backswing. 
And I can't tell you how many hours I spent trying to do that and never getting anywhere with it. And I can probably tell you it never improved my ball striking, but I was convinced that that needed to happen in order for me to hit the ball better. And then years down the line now, you know, extending the trail knee is something that's encouraged. And I'm like, well, damn it. I was doing that the whole time. You know, I was doing this thing that everybody's now into the whole time and who's to say it was better. And I spent how many hours thinking about that, not improving my ball striking. And then as soon as I started focusing more on the movement of the club and what the ball had to do and what I had to do with the club, my body naturally straightened my trail knee. Do I know why? No. Does it matter anymore to me? Absolutely not. I don't even give it any sort of conscious thought, but it's interesting how many times I get asked by people and students, you know, do you think about straightening your trail knee when you swing? And, and it's almost like, like you said, you want to give them an answer to like appease them in their question to not make them feel like, no, of course I don't think about it. What, why would I, you know, like you don't want to make them feel bad or something, but at the end of the day, it's almost like you need that bluntness of like, Hey, if you're going to go put your key to start your car, are you thinking about the movements of your thumb and forefinger? Are you thinking about, you know, supinating your wrist when you turn the car on? Are you thinking about extending your wrist when you do this? And I mean, it would be exhausting to think about that all day long. If we were to think about our body movements for all the tasks we did 24 seven, I mean, you'd probably move so slow, you'd move so mechanically and there'd be no motion or fluidity to anything that you did. Let's say you did know, would it make you do it better? Right? Right. Because the reality is, is manual could speak to the movement of the body in greater depth than I've ever heard anyone. And he was saying things about body movement that at that time was not accepted. For example, your trail knee straightening. Right. He was also saying you shouldn't shift off the ball. You should, you should stay balanced in the backswing. Very controversial. You should keep the club in the center of your stance because that's the only place that you can have perfect balance. Well, back then, everyone wanted the driver way up there. Well, now where do you see tour players who are looking to hit it straighter? The club is right in the center. So if you, yes, you can know about it. It's interesting to me to, to explore how the body moves, but does it help me perform the task? So if you think of like your signature, for example, Keith, that's a highly defined movement. I mean, when you sign your name, it's very unique to you and you do it basically the same every time. And if you were going to show me how you do your signature, you wouldn't be able to explain how your hand moves. And yet it's very, very defined. It's not like you could say, well, when you do your signature, it's, you sort of kind of do this. No, you, it moves very specifically and you have no clue. So yeah, as a golfer, you know, from just a, the value of something being interesting, you could say, well, what does my knee do? And what are my shoulders doing? And knowing about it might, it, it's not bad, but it's just not going to make you do it better. Henry and I were talking about that yesterday. Um, you know, this, this need in golf instruction currently to know what everything does when it happens, how much it happens. And, you know, the more monitors and and probes and and measurement tools that are stuck on people's bodies now more than ever and and you know we couldn't help but wonder is it and and carl morris brought this up when we talked to the other day on the podcast is it more of just a is it mentally stimulating to explore those things as human beings as as man you know kind of like you know how we we keep exploring outer space you know, to see what's out there. Like it's just an endless curiosity and we have to know more. Um, or and we kind of in the back of our mind, all good players know that you're going to have to toss that information out when you go to perform, you know, like you can't have all of these numbers and, and percentages and, and, you know, amounts of rates of rotation in your head when you're going to go hit a ball and, and need it to go in a, in a fairway. You know, there's an interesting quote that I read from Tom house. Who's a, a you know, famous throwing coach and you know he's he worked with a, a student who said everything I everything I'm learning I'm gonna have to throw out when it's time to perform and I thought that was interesting you I know love that and it's like how much do we need to know you know and, and how much is it just for the coach's mental stimulation to, to kind of like 
have something to work on, you know, and, and explore and to write a, write a, you know, write a blog post about versus like, are we really helping people get any better or perform when they need to perform? There's a couple things there that came to mind. One is I think we just have, as human beings, we're, we're just a curious species, right? And so we, yeah. we, we just want to want to know, we want to know, tell me more. Oh, you can measure it. Oh, that's very interesting. And, re and remember, it's like I said, yeah, something might be interesting, but is there value to making me perform better? The other thing is, I think there's this misconception for people trying to improve their game that the more I obtain and know down to the nth detail, the better I'll be at it. And you got to remember, like at some point, I, let's say we, we we turn 18 and we go from our, our brain goes from this sponge like where you're a child, you're not analyzing anything to becoming analytical. It's so funny when someone comes in and they say, and this is the only profession that that does this on the lesson team. Like when I teach a, a school teacher or an attorney, they don't say just a heads up. I'm a school teacher or I'm an attorney. <laughs> but when I have an engineer, every single time, hey, just as a heads up, I'm a numbers guy. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. You know, as if, okay, well, let me just give you every single data point on the track, man. There's 42 of them and let you unpack that, right? So there's just this misconception that the more that I'll know, the better I'll understand it. It's like, I want to hold on to all the information. And I just, you know, again, that's our responsibility as an instructor is to distill that down to what do I really need to tell this student to do? And I think that there's all of the technology that's come out. I think there's a lot of positives and it's done a lot of good for, for the game of golf and for instruction. But the, the, the problem or, or the challenge that you have, the thing we have to be careful of is that people are taking too much of the data. And so if you don't distill it right, you know, golf instruction, there's all this research done. And I say, you know, that, those conversations of all the different movements that are happening, I wish that those were happening in a private room just amongst, amongst the instructors. There's right. too much conversation around what is happening and not enough conversation around, okay, fine. How do I communicate that to people in a very simple way? Because now the, you know, the tour player, you could tell them everything. And they'll just naturally know what to just throw away and apply the thing that they could just immediately sense made their ball compress better, go straighter, whatever. But for the 18 handicap, they do not have enough awareness, enough repetitions under their belt and enough skill to be able to do that. What I'm hearing is that knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to performance. And we can know a lot about the golf swing, but what we really need to know are those things that are going to lead to our performance. And you've mentioned two of them that you spoke on earlier that I'd like for you to expand on motion and target awareness. Now, assuming an average golfer coming for a lesson, what are some things that they might do with you to experience that swinging motion and and becoming more target aware to which they can implement into their golf game. So someone comes into my, onto my lesson tee, and this is the process. First off, I want to help them develop a concept, an idea of this is what I need to do. Now a concept, it's an, it's something that's academic. So you say, okay, the club, in order for the ball to go to the target, Henry, the club has to be traveling in the direction of the target. I mean, that's just basic physics. No one can argue that. And, and, and everyone who comes to the lesson tee understands that. So I've now given them the principle. This is, that's the foundation. In order for the ball to go to the target, you have to swing the club in the direction of the target. But that doesn't do them any good just to understand that they have to have an application of that. So now that's where I have to give them. And by the way, the application is the context. Essentially, it's like, well, what does that mean? And I, and I then go through the process of having them experience what that looks like. 
And then when they see what it looks like, they can start to identify a, a little bit of a feeling that goes along with that. And now if I say to that student, okay, the club has to swing in the direction of the target. Show me that. Now they can demonstrate it. Now they're on their way. And then their next step is, is to be able to uh, try to apply that concept, swinging the club in the direction of the target, and then be able to tell me, did you or did you not do it? And I'll ask. They'll hit a shot and I'll say, did you do what you wanted to do? Or did you say we're, we're working on swinging the club to the target? And I'll ask them, did you do it? And they'll look at me like, I don't know. And if they, if they don't know, that answer is fine too. But I'm asking them because I'm trying to engage them so that they can think about it. Did I swing the club to the target? And you can't really go through that process until you first establish that you have to swing the club to the target. Mm. So it's the concept and then it's the context, which is the application. And how I do that, you know, the, that's the funnest part about instruction is I don't have a, a, a perfect formula for every student It's different, but I do know they have to leave my lesson T understanding at a conceptual level, at a foundational level, they have to do this. And then they need to leave my lesson T having some context of, well, how do I, how do I apply that? Yeah, I think that's such a great point you just brought up because they can't even go explore anything if they don't know the parameters from which kind of they're exploring around. You know, if they don't know that the golf ball physics dictates that the ball is going to go in the direction that the object you know, hitting it is moving, they don't even conceptualize that, then anything they try could potentially move them further away from that phenomena happening, which will guarantee the ball goes to the target. But if they understand that, then, you know, as the unique, awesome individual they are, you know, that's why it's so dangerous to implement feels, you know, when someone asks you, what do you yeah, feel? Do it. You can't do it, right? It's not going to make any sense to you. But if I know what I have to do with the tool that I'm using, then I could have a cool feel this week because my feels change all the time. I know that as a golfer, but I don't care what it feels like. As long as I got the club moving in the direction of the target, the ball's going to go there. You know, but if they don't know that, then that's the biggest thing I see people getting stuck in is like, needing to chase some sort of feel or sensation or, or needing it to feel good. That's my, that's the thing I hate the most. Oh, that didn't feel good. Well, did the ball go straight? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's probably what it needs to feel like. And it might feel different next week, but I, I just love that, you know, you start out with the concept because without that, there's nothing. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up feel because that's a, that's a wormhole people go down that will never, ever, ever get them to a destination. And I have, you know, my struggles with, with trying to swing correctly and improve my game. I mean, when I was a kid, man, I, I it just, I played baseball lefty and played baseball my whole life. And, you know, in those days, golf clubs, right-handed golf clubs were much more available. My parents didn't know any better. And I was a right, and I am right-handed. So they just said, oh, we'll get you righty clubs. But it was a very awkward thing for me. And I used to spend hours at the range. And what was my goal? My goal was to feel good about my swing emotionally and also have it physically feel good. And, you know, the thing is, is you hit balls for six hours and eventually you start to groove something. And I said, aha, Keith, I've got it. Oh, I can go home now. And I'm going to get up really early. And I'm going to come back just so I don't lose it. And I'm yeah. going to just build on that feeling. And then what happens when you go the next day? The feeling gone. is gone. And you start it all over again. And this is what people are doing. And what I tell students, I say, look, all you have to do to change your feels, go play golf at one afternoon. You know, in Texas, it gets hot in the summer. Go play one hot afternoon and then go play in the morning. You'll feel completely different. But again, because you have a foundation, I say, I know what this club has to do. I know what I'm supposed to do with it. I don't care how it feels. Some days my swing feels very poorly, but as long as I'm making the club do what it needs to do in order to send the ball to the target, then who cares? 
And you have to learn to accept that as a player that as human beings, we're not, we're not fixed in how we think and how we feel. We're constantly changing. Our bodies are always changing. Just go a couple of days and don't drink enough water. Nothing you do will feel the same. You talk about swinging the club in the direction of the target and uh, all the modern day track men enthusiasts will say, but the club face is where the golf ball starts. That's right. Uh, which is true. Um, can you tell us a little bit as to how the club face works in the golf swing? I know, um, you know, it, it might be something that is done at setup and not thought about during the swing. I just want to hear what your take is on it and how that, that works as to what a golfer should be doing with the club face. Yeah. So what I'm looking to do in my swing and in anybody's swing is I'm looking to remove variables. So the club face is something that is one of the main components of, of direction and curve of the ball, right? You've got the direction of the club, the angle of the face, and then to a lesser degree, where on the club face you hit it. And what I'm looking to do is I'm, I want the club face to be a constant, something that's not altering from one swing to the next. Well, how do you achieve that? Well, with a sound grip, with a balanced grip. And really to me, a balanced grip is just, I'm holding the club in such a way that as the centrifugal force of the swing is pulling, that my hands don't want to move out of that, that position or that hold, which would then change the position of the club. When I hold a golf club, I establish a relationship between me and the club face. So let's say I put the club in front of me and the grooves are vertical. Okay, that, so we'd say, okay, that club face is square. So now that club face is square to me. Throughout the whole swing, I want to maintain that relationship of how that club face is to me. So if I achieve that, then I don't really need to worry about, am I going to square my club face? Squaring your club face should never be something that you do. You don't insert yourself into producing that. I swing the club in the direction of the target. The, my club face remains, maintains its relationship to me in the side of the swing. And so it's just a constant. Yeah, I like how you worded that. I like uh, a neutral and balanced grip. Um, you mentioned earlier putting the club in the center of the stance, which is beneath the center of the swing, which is at that point where centrifugal force would maintain the club face being not only square to the player, but also the target line. Um, the, cl the club face squares because the shape of your swing creates that, not because... You know, I'll, say, I'll hear someone say, well, I didn't square it at the bottom. I say, hey, if you have to square your club face in order to make the ball go straight, you're in big trouble. Because here's another thing. You as a person will never outperform a swing. You will never. You trying to make something happen inside of your swing, you'll never do it better than the swing can do it on its own. So what's your job? Your job is to leave the swing alone. Get it in motion, keep it in motion, and stay out of the way. And when you do That's that, it. if you have, if you have a sound grip, then the, I've I never think about my club face being square. Ever. So, are you having uh, are you mentioning it during lessons? Are you having players practice anything in that regard, or using any analogies or or uh, training devices or things to help them produce the motion to squared, or is it simply done with making sure that the face is, you know, 90 degrees to the target line and, and square to the body at setup, and then making sure that the balance grip is, it has been established. And then you're purely working on kind of that uninterrupted motion from, you know, over the back shoulder to over the forward, over the front shoulder. There's lots of things I do. So I mentioned Keith that when I, when I put the club in my hands, I establish a relationship between me and the club face. Now, I've almost never met an amateur golfer who in the forward swing did not alter that relationship. Usually it's, they open the club face. So I'll have them do, I'll say, make a little chip, a little chip swing and then hold your follow through. And so I'll have them make a follow through and then I'll hold the club and then I'll have them turn and face the club. 
as, as if they're going to readdress it at setup. And then I'll set the club down and say, what happened to the club? And they'll go, oh, it's open. It changed. And so I'll show them, look, you've got to keep this club, its relationship to you the same. And then I, I practice that with them. And then I show them and then boom, now they understand. But I, I mentioned that the, the shape of the swing squares the club. I had a lesson yesterday. One of our junior players, high school player, very talented, a lot of speed, hits it further than I do. And I said, how can I help you today? And he said, I can't square my club face. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be a fun one. And I said, okay, well, what's the problem? Because it keeps going right. And so I had him put the club out in front of him. So the, the, the plane of the swing is horizontal. And I had to make a backswing and then return the whole club back to where it was. And I said, you don't square the club face. The swing squares it. Think of it as your, you're not squaring the face. You're just squaring the whole club. Mm. And then, and Manuel used to have this, this golf club with a club head on right below the grip, a club head in the middle of the shaft, and then the club head down at the ball. And he used to have players go to the top and then, now square all three faces back down at your address position. And I had my student visualize that and he never hit it straighter in his life. So again, I wasn't getting him to do something with the face. I got him to visualize what he was doing with his swing a little bit differently. And it, you know, it, it all just usually comes down to being a bit more circular. And then the face takes care of itself. So yeah, the face can be a problem, but then trying to do something with the face is, from my experience, not the fix. Interesting. I definitely haven't thought about it in those terms, but you kind of have my, you kind of definitely have my mind going in a couple of directions there on some things that I want to try, which I always like to hear different, uh, different perspectives on that. I think the main takeaway for me on a lot of what you said is, is that uninterrupted motion from top of backswing to, to follow through, uh, you know, how do you get people to forget about the golf ball? Because that is probably the biggest inhibitor to people making that fluid motion. They'll want to hit at something. They'll want to watch the ball. They'll want to keep their head down and all these things that would interrupt the motion right? Like what, what are your cues or analogies or things that you use to make people help people make that, that uninterrupted motion and then maintain it when there's a golf ball on the ground? Well, the first thing and the simplest thing you can do is take the golf ball away because what are you trying to do as a player? You're trying to improve your swing. Well, the correctness of my swing doesn't need a golf ball to be defined as either correct or not correct. A swing has characteristics. So I either move the club in a way that adheres to those defining characteristics or I don't. So I can tell you your swing is correct. I don't need a ball to tell you that your swing is correct. Now the ball is incredible feedback, right? So I would encourage listeners of this podcast to make a lot more swings without a ball, okay? So, well, you're on my lesson T we've made some swings with a ball without a ball, but eventually they want to hit the ball better. So we've got to put it back in. And I explained to people, the golf ball is an animate, it, which means it's lifeless. And so the only way that that ball is going to move is by what contact, where does that contact come from you or the club? It comes from the club. Okay. What do you come in contact with? I come in contact with the club. Okay. You come in contact with the club. So you're the captain of the club. Don't. And then I just say, why would you concern yourself with something you can't control? You can't do anything to the golf ball. Otherwise it's no longer golf. I can pick it up and throw it down the fairway, but now I'm not playing golf. So you're responsible. And this is the main thing. Every student who comes to my lesson team, I want them to leave. I say, you are responsible for what you do with this club. You're the captain of it. So put all of your attention onto what you're doing with it and leave the ball alone. And people say, well, do you just visualize that the ball's not there? 
and I say, you know, I've tried that, I, but it is not, I, I look down, I see the ball, but I accept that the ball is there. I accept that when I swing it, my club will come in contact with it and it will propel it forward, but I just don't concern myself with it. And another great thing that your listeners can do is stop having concern for where it goes. Mm. Because the anxiety of where the ball may or may not go, where does that pull your attention from? It pulls your attention from the swing. Because here's how it works. I want to shoot a low score. Well, what do you need to do to shoot a low score? You need to hit good shots. Okay, great. How do you hit good shots? You make good swings. How do you make good swings? You give yourself the right mental picture, the right intent. No one can break that process. So if you go right to the ball, what do you forget to do? Well, you forget to make the correct swing. If you're not focusing on make, producing the correct swing, you, you can't assume that's going to happen. If it does happen, you know, it's just luck. That's such a good picture to paint in people's minds because I think if you, if you have like a, like a little uh, cloud, you know, a cloud blurb of what people were thinking over the ball, I don't think you'd see anybody thinking about what needs to be done with the club. I, it's all the first thing that would pop up is what they don't want to have happen. So a nice clear image of the ball flying into the hazard. And then, you know, again, more ball focused and anxiety. Uh, and when you're so in, attached to that outcome side of things, like you said, concern with where the ball is going, then you simply can't be focused on what the club is doing. And, you know, I kind of, like you said, where do you place your attention? I mean, it starts with an intention, you know, what do I need to do with this club? And then it starts with attention. Okay. You know, and then it ends with attention. Where am I going to place my attention for the entirety of the swing? And I think if people thought of it in those, in that, in those terms, it would get more simple for them. It's so it's, it's incredible how hard it, and I'm sure you've experienced, it's incredible how hard it is to get people to remove themselves from the outcome. Do you find you teach indoors primarily. Do you find it's easier to remove people's focus on the ball flight when a ball's hitting a screen versus a lot of times I feel when I'm out on the range, you know, people can't help but to look up and see the ball flying sideways, even if they're getting closer to making a better golf swing. Yeah, it's interesting. What I notice about teaching indoors is for new golfers, the intimidation of like, if I dribble or top the ball, I won't be ashamed or embarrassed because indoors, whether you top it or, or flush a driver, it just hits the screen and falls down. So I noticed that, but I'll be honest with you guys. In my ideal scenario, there is no ball flight being shown. I would just pull it up on the screen to show people that, Hey, look how you're moving the club. It's giving you a good result. So pay attention to what you're doing to achieve that. Mm -hmm. But, and sometimes I'll do that. I'll turn the projector, the projector off when I notice that they're so concerned with the ball, you know, Manuel Delatore, he told me one time he, he taught at Milwaukee country club and in the winter time, you know, it's very cold in Wisconsin. He, he had like a basement with a few bays and he said that he would make the most progress with his students during that time mm -hmm. why because they weren't worried about the ball and he could get them to keep their attention on what they were doing with the thing that they could control which was their club and how they would produce their swing and ernest jones who manual learned from he taught in manhattan indoors on i forget what floor of of, of a building but there was no there was no ball flight they people would just hit into a net yeah, I think we talked to uh, Adam Young the other day, and, and he kind of laid out an interesting progression of how someone might learn. And, and it, it the, the progression started hitting balls into a net with no ball flight, you know, just yeah. completely removing the anxiety of where the ball is going, the resulting flight, and just allowing someone to be. I think it takes a lot of the pressure off the golfer. You know, I've 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 often thought of having like a net that I can drop down in front of my hitting bay you know kind of like that would be the, a great idea 
just as you described, when someone's getting overly frustrated with the ball not getting airborne or the ball going to the right, I think taking that away just channels their mind to the point where you could never do that if they're still able to look up and see the ball flying. It's just too distracting for some golfers. I think I think that's interesting and definitely something that I'm going to uh, to kind of figure out a little bit more if I can set that up because I think you know, like what you said with what Manuel said, it just, I think so much more progress can be made on, on the actual movement of the golf club when, when they can't see the ball fly. And then you, you pull the net up and you go, well, the ball's flying straight, but you've been thinking about the club for the last hour. I think that'd be a kind of a cool, like reveal. When I go to hit balls, I don't do it to go find my swing. I do it to affirm, to confirm that my mental picture, my intent that I formulated in my brain through slow practice was correct. Mm -hmm. So then it's oftentimes that my practice session is 10 swings because the ball's flying the way that I want. So I say, Oh, well I had the right mental picture. There's nothing else to do. Right. You know, when players are going to the driving range to find their golf swing and get the ball to fly the right way, that's usually a wormhole. Mm -hmm. And when I have a student who I can see is very bound to the outcome of the shot of the contact and where the ball went. I, I tell myself, Aaron, spend extra attention in getting them away, away from that attitude and think Mm -hmm. about, think about what the biggest problem is. We say, okay, I have to swing the club. Well, if tension is this thing that destroys golfers, well, swinging something is not conducive to tension. I mean, if I gave you a string, you, you've seen me do my little post with a tennis ball attached to a string. And I say to someone, swing this back and forth. They're not naturally gonna get real tight and tense. Mm-hmm. So when someone is playing golf, they're so tight and tense. Why is that? Well, it's because they don't like the way the ball is flying and they want to control the ball. Well, they're trying, they're focusing on controlling something that they can't control. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. And they grip it tighter and tighter and tighter. And it's just this perpetual thing that gets them so far removed from the original way that they should be, which is in a motion swinging mindset. Yeah. Go ahead, Henry. So I'm kind of thinking of what a golfer might do and, is it that, would you recommend them building some kind of a device, maybe a tennis ball on the end of a swing to which they can swing and, and develop that type of emotion? I would encourage people to make swings with their clubs without a ball. And what I like to do is I, I tell students, do it continuously. Like don't make one swing and then stop, make, Just swing it back and forth and start to just, what happens is, is you start to develop a sense of the motion. Just do it back and forth in constant motion from one side to the other, like those, the orange whips. I think those are fantastic for that, for that purpose. They have to, swinging something is, is innate to people. I mean, I used to do this, this workshop, this uh, clinic in Thailand called First Swing. And we would have sometimes a hundred people there swinging a golf club for the very first time. And we had these sticks that weren't quite golf, actual golf clubs, but they were sort of shaped like one and had a weight at the bottom. I never met someone who couldn't just hold that in their hands and move it from one side to the other. I mean, producing a swing is not complicated. Little four-year-old kids have no problem doing it. So there's no you know, hey, I've got to really study the swing to be able to do it. I mean, everyone can do it. I've never met a golfer, a brand new golfer who came in, who did not leave the lesson tee being able to swing the golf club. It's a simple task. The challenge for me is I know that they're going to do it. If I can do what? Get them to put their attention on it. Yeah. And then hope that they don't get some sort of tip from their friend the next time they go play and it's all over. (laughs) Well, how do you, I mean, 
maybe we'll end with this, but how do you arm, how do you arm golfers? I mean, at some point, you know, Henry and I talk about this all the time. We really only get a very finite amount of time with these people in the grand scheme of their golfing lives. Right. I mean, they're, they're going to be exposed to a lot of other things, far more hours of the day than they're ever going to spend with us. Let's say it's an hour a week. You know, that's, that's really not much, you know, there's nothing more crushing than seeing a golfer have this great momentum in your lesson and then coming back and saying that they worked on something that their playing partner told them to work on. And it has nothing to do with swinging the club, but you know, because they respect their playing partner or he's a lower handicap, she's a lower handicap. They took it as, you know, as dogma, um, you know, is it, is it just kind of hope that your message resonates? Is it, is it, is it almost uh, arming them with the knowledge that they're going to be inundated with a bunch of stuff and that it's unproductive? Or I guess now that I'm thinking about it, if they truly grasp the concept, they'll be more equipped to filter out unproductive information. It's my job to empower a student, right? What would be the, the ultimate success for you as golf instructors? It would be that your student wouldn't need to come to you for a lesson. Mm. That you've, 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 you've passed on this information that they've, they've soaked it in, they've learned how to apply it, and then they've learned to distinguish between whether or not they did or did not do it. And so that's the ultimate goal. I'm, I'm, I'm providing an education, I'm, and I want to arm them with an understanding of this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, someone comes and says to them, well, what about this? What about that? I mean, if they truly believe in what they're doing, it shouldn't matter what anyone tells them. And I tell people that they'll come back and say, well, I was, you know, I was hitting it pretty good, but then my friend said, what about this? And I'll, I'll just say to them, where in your concept does that anecdote or that idea, where does that fit in? You have to put it on them. You know, I'm not going to make you play better golf. I'm going to give you information. You are going to make you yourself play better golf you're going to make the swing changes. It's your swing. And I tell people, be very careful what you allow into your head. It's your brain. You're the one who has to sign the scorecard and, and live with the outcome of the round. So you should be very protective of what you allow to come inside of your head. Yeah, that's really good. I, uh, I like that empowering the student message. Uh, because at the end of the day, it is their golf game. And as coaches, we're only responsible for a, a small portion of that, uh, you know, and the rest of it's on them. And I think you kind of have to put the onus on them a lot of times. And, and like you said, they are the ones signing the scorecard and they have to be the ones at the end of the round that are happy with the progress they're making and how things went. So I really like that. Um, well, Aaron, we want to be, uh, you know, conscious of your time. You know, you're a busy dude. Um, Tell us a little bit here as we wrap up about what you've got going on down in, in Austin. You've got some really exciting things going up, a, going a, a huge facility that's about to open. Um, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about that. And uh, if someone would be so inclined to uh, come down and visit you down there. Yeah, great. Well, first off, thanks guys so much for having me on the podcast and really great conversation and, and giving me the chance to share some of my ideas. Um, yeah, we're down in Austin, Texas. I've started a company called Golfinity. We are just on the cusp of opening a 20,000 square foot indoor performance club. And really it's a place for golfers um, who love the game and, and, are, and want to get better at it, a place for them to, to develop their skills. And it's also a place for people curious about the game, maybe are not engaging with golf to come and discover it and, and discover the joys of it. It's an indoor facility. We'll have 22 bays, uh, incredible technology, incredible programming, and, and just an awesome place for people to come together and, and build, build community friends to, uh, to share the game with. All ages uh, are welcome, all skill levels. And um, yeah, we're just about finished with construction. We should be open here shortly. 
and it's going to be a fantastic place. We have what we call our preview club open now, which is just down the street and so many, so many uh, different walks of life coming in people from all over of all, all different abilities coming in to learn. And, and we just love sharing golf with the community and, and can't wait to do it at our new facility. That's rad, man. I can't wait to come down and see it. Yeah. I'll look forward to welcoming, welcoming both of you. And I can't I, wait. Before, Aaron. Um, I want to say something to both of you guys um, that I mentioned before we started recording, which is, you know, you guys are putting out incredible content and I can see the attention and thought you put into to giving very sound information. And in this world where you can go on YouTube and Instagram and you can get more information in one day than you ever could in your whole lifetime, the challenge is, is how do people know what to listen to and what to believe? And so to see you guys gain such a strong following uh, with the with the language that you're using, with the advice that you're giving, I think is really important. It's a it's a great service to the game. I enjoy watching you guys. I hope your listeners uh, have an appreciation for um, how much goes into doing that. And I would just encourage you guys keep it up. You're doing incredible work. I'm a fan. Well, thanks, man. That means a lot. Appreciate it. I appreciate that very much, Aaron. Going back now over a decade from when, you know, we first got into this thing and uh, going back to my hometown and not having a clue as to what I had just discovered in dilatory seminar and uh, you putting uh, Ed LeBeau into our, you know, uh, curriculum basically here at the university and allowing me to uh, mentor under him. And then now uh, seeing what you're doing with Golffinity is amazing. I'm hoping that a lot of our students can uh, eventually go and be employed by you and learn to teach and continue growing the game in a fashion that I think is going to be long lasting. And uh, I appreciate everything that you've been able to provide us uh, from those past years. But certainly today, I think our listeners have a have a gem here in information that uh, we're going to be pushing out to the community. Um, certainly one of my favorite talks. I have a page full of notes. You've said lots of little uh, nuggets that I hadn't heard before and, and, and have definitely resonated with me. So I appreciate that very much, Aaron. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on guys. All right, Aaron, we'll have to do it again in the future, man. And uh, look forward to uh, linking up here in the, in the, in the coming months. Absolutely. You bet guys. Anytime. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Aaron. All right. We'll see you.